Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Living, a practical guide for living the open-handed life every day. And welcome to week five of our book club, An Unhurried Life. I have been really looking forward to this chapter because the first time that I read this chapter was the first time I was ever introduced to the concept of the God of efficiency. And I finally had a name for um, a God that I've been bowing down to for many, many years. I just didn't know what it was called. Um, so I've been kind of waiting for this chapter to come. Okay, so the beginning of the chapter starts with the Gronk, which I thought was genius. You know, that space and time from between the green light in front of you and the honk behind you, which definitely all Californians at least know what that is. And it just reminded me of just what an impatient culture in general we live in. And of course, I've always personally struggled with patience, being a very prideful and <laughs> driven, I'm, I'm going to get my stuff done kind of person. And so this has always been something that I have struggled with and seeing anything that gets in the way of my agenda as an inconvenience to me. <laughs> so I, it's a long, uh, long suffering is a better way for me to even think about that word. I think that is a really good thing for me. But I was struck in, in this time when he said, um, when you imagine God having a human face, is he smiling or do you picture him as stern or angry? Does he roll his eyes at your frequent falls? And this reminded me of how in this famous passage, the 1 Corinthians 13 passage, where patience is the first virtue of love, it reminded me of how screwed up our image of God can be. And, um, you know, I know for sure for me, when I was first, when I first became a Christian, I, um, I had definitely um, a, a skewed image of who God was and how he dealt with things. And um, I think that I remember a specific instruction that Marsha Lamb at the time gave me. Some of you know her, and I might have shared this before, but how she said, I want you to go through this 1 Corinthians 13 scripture, and I want you to write down, God is patient, and God is kind, and go through each one of these qualities and write it down. And then I want you to tell me, I want you to write down next to it, if you believe that. If it's hard for you to believe, um, or if you hear the words but it doesn't make sense to you, or if you don't believe it, whatever, just write it down. And I specifically remember writing about patience. And I wrote, I do believe God is patient up to a certain point. <laughs> but then I think he's done. He, he loses patience, you know. And I would always think of the story of Saul in the Old Testament, the first king of Israel. And I always think, you know, because you know, he had a cutoff, you know, there with Saul. And I can remember sharing that with BJ at the time, who she had, she was sort of my mentor at the time. And uh, she helped me to see why, you know, there was the cutoff with Saul. And that I, the things I was dealing with at the moment didn't even come close to approaching the Saul level. But uh, I think really the truth is that I was impatient. I'm impatient. And so I project that quality onto God. And I think that that's what we do. We start to make God in our image. And we think the things that we don't like about ourselves, and we, we sort of project that onto, we know we do the, the other people, but I think I definitely have done that to God. And I project my human flaws, my sins, and my qualities onto him. But the truth is, he is patient and kind. And so that just helped me to remember that time in my life and remember how... Uh, you know, when you find yourself questioning God a lot, getting mad at God a lot, blaming God a lot, that's how I was definitely in the beginning of my relationship with Him um, around when I was when I got baptized. And uh, I've had to grow a lot in that to see Him in the perfect image that He is rather than creating Him in my own image. 
Um, so maybe that helps you. And then, but then of course he goes into the story of the Good Samaritan. And this is so funny because in my home church right now, we are actually doing a series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? based on the documentary by Fred Rogers right now, about Fred Rogers right now. But basically it's based on this scripture, the Good Samaritan, so it feels like God's got me surrounded. No matter where I go, I'm going to be reading about the Good Samaritan. And, um, you know, I there a few things hit me about this. First of all, um, this sentence that says, this, the, the needy person along the way is an inconvenience, an interruption. I may complain that loving everyone in the world is impossible, but that's not what Jesus commanded. Our Lord and Savior directs us to care for the person who is actually crossing our path. Proximity provides an opportunity to love. And, you know, this, the Good Samaritan has always been a huge reality check for me because I know I've always related to the priest or the Levite. Definitely I'm on my way somewhere. That would be really inconvenient to stop and do that. Um, but I think in some ways, you know, I, I do have that mind that struggles with all oh, the problems of the world, all the problems of the world. But really, if you just boil it down to, no, whoever God br brings into your path. I don't have to find the answers for the whole world. I don't have to find the answers for every single world problem that's going on, hunger and, and the killings over here and the refugee situation and everything. I can help with those. But really, the burden of finding a solution for those, come on, got to let it go. That's really God's job. All I have to do is be the Samaritan to the person in front of me in my path. So what that's led to me led me to do is a couple of things. One is, you know, I've always realized that I'm just definitely too busy for that kind of interruption. And God keeps the word that God keeps bringing to my mind lately is margin. You just don't have enough margin. You know, Jay and I had this experience where we were trying to do something and we were trying to get something done and the kids with the kids and all that and. It was just so hard to get it done because of all the parenting that needed to be done in the moment. And there's just so many attitudes to correct and corrections to make and, and redirections and trying to help them all get along and be respectful and loving and kind. And I, Jay and I looked at each other and I said, this is our problem, is that we always plan everything we're doing and with enough time just enough time to do it to do the task in maybe what we would refer to as adult time how long it would take for adults to do this but I don't even think that's it I think it's not even a realistic time we're talking disciple time like if everybody was functioning at a hundred percent and and nobody has any attitudes about anything and nobody feels anything <laughs> don't anybody feel anything then this would task should take this long it should and that word should this task should take this long but what I realized is, oh, no, 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 no. I need to double that time. Because there's the time that actual adult time or time would take to accomplish that task if if they were insent. What is that when you don't have any feelings? Insentient? No, I know that's not the right word. I can't remember what it is. But if we did not have any feelings or thoughts or, or problems, and I need to double that time to allow for us to work through all the issues that come with each project or each thing that we're trying to do. And that really... Help me, that's in my own home. I'm not even talking about going out of my own home. I'm talking about even in my own home, I don't have enough buffer time for all the things that I think that we need to get done. How long it takes to put dinner on the table because how long it takes to get work through those little chores and work through the little attitudes and all that stuff. How long it takes to do anything, much less 
adding in time, and this is the thing I've started to really figure out, is like, I don't want to plan just enough time to run over the store. I need to go, Tracy, plan time to run over the store and be interrupted. That's what you need to have time for. Plan time to be interrupted. So I'm, that is my goal at the moment, is to have more buffer and just to really accept what that would mean in life, you know, doing so much, so much less, so to speak, so that I can experience more. I guess that's the easiest way to put it. And then um, the other thing that, that hit me about this, though, was for the way that he went through this, he said it, it was like a lot of different steps that the Samaritan went through. The Samaritan had to stop. Um, Samaritan had pity on the wounded man. The Samaritan went to the wounded man, so he had to stop what he was doing and go over there. The Samaritan bandaged the wounds with oil and wine. The Samaritan carried the man to a nearby inn. The Samaritan stayed overnight with the man. The Samaritan gave two days wages so the wounded man could rest and recover. Um, and then the Samaritan planned a return trip. And it just, it was interesting because I had never broken down every single thing that he had to do. I think my mind is always just blown by the fact that he went over and stopped his... <laughs> stopped his journey to pick the guy up, you know, and I was, because, because that's so above me, because I definitely have always related to the priest or the Levite, but I was thinking about all the steps and how long it went on. Well, this definitely struck me in my life, at this moment in my life, because I think I just grow, I, in the, in the middle of doing um, the Samaritan's work, in the middle of being the neighbor, in the middle of being like Christ, I get to these points where I'm like, should be enough. I have done enough. That is enough, you know. And adoption is the clear, uh, obvious example of this. You know, I've adopted in them. Is that enough? As if they're going to be like cured by my adoption, my adopting them, like taking them at home. That should be enough. <laughs> no, they're wounded. I've got to bandage the wounds. I've got to heal. You know, help the wounds to heal. I've got to, that takes time. And then this quote: too often. I want wounded people around me to hurry up and get better because they're inconveniencing me. I have to laugh because it's so embarrassing. I want to get on with my life. But what is God's invitation for a given season of my life? Does what I am so hurried to return to really matter? Is it the Lord's priority for me? Or could regaining or retaining a sense of control over my life be more important to me than loving those around me. And this just completely nails me. Um, because I don't, you know, healing and talking and all that stuff, it's messy and it takes time. And I just want it to be over with. And I've got things on my mind that I want to do. And But this was such a great reminder for me. Um, and I've, I've always had to kind of do this. You know, I've been one of those parents who who's always living in the next season, like, I can't wait until this, or, you know, like, when you have little bitties and you're in that peanut butter and jelly stage, I, you know, um, as it's been called, you're always looking forward to the next stage, the next stage, you know, and I've had to stop that. It's a trap because you never get to enjoy the moment, but I think I still fall into that regularly, and I have to be okay with the fact that, no, this is what God has planned for me now. There are things I'd love to do. I would love to um, build up Simply Holy Living more. I'd like for it to be more, but I, right now, it's, it's just a catalog of videos. That's great. That's all it needs to be for now because that's not my priority right now. Um, I'd love to do more in the ministry right now. Yes, I'd love to. That's not what I'm going to be doing right now. Right now, my main gig 
is to raise these guys. I was talking to one of my friends at the beach the other day and I said, she was asking me how I was doing. I was like, I'm doing well as long as I can remember that this is my job. I keep having this fantasy that I have like some separate job and that and then, but then that makes the kids are like they're just getting in the way. My kids are getting in the way of my, my real job or something. And the truth is they are my real job. <laughs> and this goes for anybody, whether you even work outside the home, full-time, part-time, whatever, or you work inside the home. No matter who we are, we all have jobs we all have you know career type jobs but our kids that's really what the season that God has called us to if you're in that season and everybody has a different season they're in maybe you don't have kids right now maybe you're in a different season you're pre-kids you're no kids you've got your kids have graduated whatever season you're in there's a season that God has called you to right now at this time in your life and embracing that season not looking forward to the next season or trying to get out of the season or do too much in this season um, making the things that God has called you to the interruptions. No. And then, of course, that's my favorite quote. This one has my favorite quote. It's an Henri Nguyen quote that I have, this actually kind of shaped my life. Um, when he says, my whole life I've been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discovered the interruptions were my work. And uh, that's kind of the story of my life. I have had to, you know, I'm fascinated by Jesus that he was like that. I've I've, I, I need to become more like that. Um, and then I love um, the thought of this, this alone time with God. He says, I've discovered that setting aside part of my day, some part of one day a month to simply be with God enables me to know more uh, and rely more on his love for me. And um, I definitely have experienced this. Of course, it started when I started celebrating the Sabbath and so God has kind of pulled me in, and I feel like there's no way I could ever go back because I've been so enriched by this. It's a chunk. It's just this huge chunk of time, actually pretty much weekly, um, where I'm with Him. I know we're going to talk more about the Sabbath later, so I don't want to get into it too much, but the, I would even like to get this extended time once a month even longer. I'm like, ooh, how can I do that? And then, of course, I, I can vouch for the fact that um, when Jay and I, we've, we definitely have a rhythm of the date, a weekly date every week. Actually, it's the first thing we do. After our Sabbath, we celebrate Sabbath, then we go on a date. Um, and that has, I, I, all I can say is that when I have that weekly time, which if you shoot for weekly, realistically, you're probably going to get three-fourths of that time. Um, I, when I have that time, it makes me relax. It brings me, it makes me peaceful in our relationship because I feel like I'm not, always needy like I'm trying to get more time with Jay I need more time no more time no I feel full so I feel like no I'm gonna get my time and actually I can wait I can wait till then because I've had that time so I can definitely vouch for that now he takes it even further talking about his lingering times with his friends and I was like oh my gosh pie in the sky right now I I I'm not there yet I really want to be there and I'm excited to get there I'm going to try to get there um so anyway, that's my next goal, I would say. And then, um, did I talk about efficiency yet? I don't think I did. Some people are so caught up in striving for efficiency that love seems like a luxury or even an obstacle to efficient functioning. I am a slave to efficiency and can be very unloving to the people I'm around because it's not as efficient. Um, you know, hurry up and get well already. I've already said that. And this hurry creates a false crisis in which I cannot care for the one before me. It's a false crisis, and I totally um, relate to this. 
So something I've been experimenting with, and it's been kind of fun. So I challenge anybody who's my kin is like, I, I can find the fastest way to do anything, and I can do two or three things at once. Okay, if you're like me, I have been experimenting lately with just saying no to efficiency. I've just been like, no, I'm not going to do this no the most efficient way. I'm going to linger. I'm going to take my time, and I'm going to be slow about it. And I have just experimented with this. Now, this is like a fish out of water, so... I'm not, I'm not saying I'm good at it, but that's just something I've been experimenting with and just deciding. I've said before how I'll like choose the line that's longer, you know, or whatever, but even at home, as I'm, you know, getting ready or doing things around the house, I've just decided I'm not going to multitask. So maybe that helps you, maybe it doesn't. Okay, and then I'm going to end with these questions, which I think I might have really already covered in the things that I've said, but it says, what is... Number one, unhurried time. What is Jesus' answer to the legal expert's question? And what must I do, to, what it, which says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Talk to Jesus about this greatest of commandments. How is he wanting to grow you and enjoy practicing them? Now, I'm having a hard time seeing because of the lighting. My, my lenses, I have new lenses in my eyes, by the way. That's why I don't wear glasses. Um, but it's, it, I, the light trips me up, so I'm going to try to do this. But... Um, this is me talking to God. I said, love God, well, this is love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It has come to me through the years that when I was baptized, you won my heart. When I went through CR, which is chemical recovery, you won my soul. When I started homeschooling, you won my mind, and currently you are winning my strength. But the truth is... You are winning that because you are becoming that strength. The tighter I hold on to you, the more energy I seem to have. If I hold steadfastly to you, I sudden, um, and suddenly I'm not as tired. I can persevere m much longer like I, uh, I used to get everything out on my own own strength. I used to do everything on my own strength. And gradually um, those times are becoming less and less while leaning on you. Your strength has been happening more and more often and I will say that this is true. I've been getting I'll get to the end of my own strength. And um, and I'll go back to God and I'll go, okay, so I, I don't have any strength anymore. Cause, and when I say get to the end of my strength, that means I can no longer respond righteously to whatever's in front of me. So just as a definition, I'm no longer being kind. I'm no longer being patient. I've lost patience. So the burning in my stomach is starting to come out of my mouth. Okay, wait, 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 wait. And I go that, okay, I'm, I'm, my strength is up. I need to go back to God. So I will just leave the situation I'm in if I can. I'll just pray. I will stop and I'll pray. And then God gives me the energy to go back in and actually I have found more and more energy that way that's happening. Now, I don't do this all the time. It's just I'm growing. I'm growing that way. Okay, then the next question was, read Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan again, and this time consider who you most identify with. Um, imagine the story from that person's perspective, and what do you notice from that angle? What impresses you? Where in the story do you think God wants to meet you? I didn't answer every single part of this, but I said this. I said, I definitely relate most to the priest or the Levite. They both passed by on the other side of the road. Um, 
who knows what was going on inside their heads, but I know I have a billion things going on inside mine. Um, I th think that, oh, the thing that impressed me most about the story um, is the time in that the Samaritan kept going and doing the next thing. Oh, this is the thing I was just talking about. How I get to the point where I feel like, I've done enough already. That should have been enough. Like, if I was the Samaritan in the story, I would have put him on the my donkey and then like, well, that, or, or just bandaged up his wounds. And then I would have been like, isn't that enough? Can't somebody else carry him in? And then I would, come on, somebody else pitch in. So that's definitely how I relate to that, is that I he just kept going and doing the next thing, and I get resentful before I do the next thing. Okay, number three, Jesus offered the legal expert some simple words of counsel, go and do likewise. Talk to Jesus about what it would look like for you in your current circumstance to go and do the same kind of thing the Samaritan did for this broken man. To whom uh, does Jesus draw your attention and how might he want you to care for that person? And this is when I just started talking about the idea of buffer time and... Um, uh, margin, margin in my life. I need more margin inside my home. I need more margin outside my home. More margin is what I heard him saying. Um, and then it says in verse 37, um, oh, I'm sorry. The expert in the law asked Jesus to define neighbor. Perhaps he wanted to argue about it. What is Jesus' answer to his question? And what about Jesus' answer impressed you, instructs you, or helps you? And I wrote, Jesus' answer in the is, is a story. And I think the thing that impresses me most about this is that it shows the complicated nature of the answers in life. So often, I search for the correct definition or explanation or analogy to try to address a certain issue, such as modesty with clothing or godly teaching or whatever. And the truth is that it is not quantifiable. Not everything can be... Um, mapped out on a grid or planned on a spreadsheet or measured by a ruler. Of course, Jesus knows this and he's the master of putting it back on the person to think through it and to come to the realization himself. To paraphrase Rick Warren, it says people will often follow or obey what you teach them but they will hold with conviction that which they discover for themselves. I really wish I were more like this, like how the way Jesus teaches. However, this process always takes more time, and because I worship the God of efficiency, I often um, wish I could just say, do this, rather than let the process happen. This is especially true for my parenting, but even in my leadership, it's very hard for me. You know, and parents, this is hard for us when we can see the answer, when we know the answer, when we know the best road, when we know the best thing. It's just so much easier to go, trust me, this is the way you should do it. Just, just do what I say, just trust me, just trust me. But it really is shortchanging them of that, the gift of discovering it for themselves. So it just, again, is an area where I need to become more patient. And then the last question was about what the word was that um, the legal expert uses to answer Jesus' question about who is the neighbor. And what does this word mean to you? Um, mercy is the word. And um, 
I think, this is so funny, when I think about this word, I think of this movie scene comes to mind where this guy is begging for his life. He had been taken prisoner by a certain tribal king and, and he was on his knees before the king, you know, getting ready to have his head chopped off. And he was like, mercy, mercy, please show mercy. And he gets his head chopped off. And um, I was just thinking about that over and over again, like thinking about when I'm passing by someone, um, really their soul is crying out, mercy, mercy. You know, have mercy on me. And I think what I need to get in my mind is what I need to sacrifice, what I need to cut off is my agenda. <laughs> I need to sacrifice my agenda, not that person. Um, I need to, and then I wrote, I wrote this, I need to sacrifice my own self, my agenda, my wants and my desires so that someone else can live. But when I really think about it, this is easy to do because Jesus did it for me. So I can literally recall by example, at his example, at any point of the day, I can, quote, fix my eyes on Jesus, you know, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Um, and sat down at the right hand of God. You know, I can go on and on because that's so emblazoned in my memory. But really, fixing my eyes on Jesus, we have somebody to imitate. We do have a tangible thing. We do have somebody. You know, sometimes it's so hard. If you're, you know, think a lot about uh, men trying to fulfill this father role when they didn't have a father, it's hard to go, what does that look like? What does it look like to be a good dad when I didn't have a dad or whatever? But I think the thing that came to me today is like, I actually do have an exact example to set my mind, to fix my eyes on Jesus. What would Jesus do in this situation? And we do have a tangible example to look at. So anyway, that helped me. I hope it helps you. Please add your comments. And um, I hope that we can all this week sort of look for those moments and fix our eyes. Jesus kind of look for those moments where uh, God is, the Spirit is calling us to be a Samaritan in those moments. Until next time.